great. Welcome everybody. And this is Coaching Professional Women Survivors of Abuse, episode number 114. I'm so excited to have Renee Courier Amak. I hope I said that right, on the podcast today. I met Renee after Brandy Smith, who was on my podcast, told me about a book that she co-authored with nine other women called Hashtag She Wins Too, and Renee was one of those women. She has what I would call a very brave story of survival and has not only made it out and passed that abusive relationship, but she has turned her life around and is now helping others. Hello, Renee, and welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you here today. Um, We chatted the other day and you were telling me about your uh, relationship and you met your, um, you know, what will we say, abusive partner in 1994. So I, I guess what I'm curious about is what attracted you to him um, in the first place? So, um, I guess that's kind of a hard question to answer, but, um, I mean, obviously I was a teenager, so I thought he was cute. (laughs) Um, that was the initial thing that attracted me to him. Um, and we had similar friend group, um, and we just were, you know, we were hanging out and he seemed, um, like just a really cool guy to hang out with. So, um, I think that's where we get into sticky situations when we're so young and decide that we know what um, yeah. good relationships look like, but we really don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, I probably should have said this before, but why don't you tell us a little bit about you first before we dive into some of these you know, questions that I know our listeners are going to want to hear because our goal with these podcasts is to show that there are survivors, but there's also you know, success stories. So just tell us a little bit about you and what you're doing currently with your life right now. Sure. So um, just to give you a little summary um, of what you'll find out more in the book if you choose to purchase one. Um, So I was born to teenage parents. Um, They were 16 and 17. They had some addiction issues. I mean, I don't blame anything on my parents Mm -hmm. ever. Um, I was loved and I had a huge family. Um, It was wonderful. Um, But I have learned over my healing process that a lot of what happens in childhood might contribute to what we allow in our lives as adults. And so, um, you know, there's a lot. I had children basically raising me and they did the best that they could. I mean, I struggled as a parent um, having my daughter when I was 26, I cannot imagine having a child at 16. So they did an amazing job. Um, but there were just some certain things that, uh, I, you know, when I was 16, 15, 16, um, I didn't really understand what healthy relationships looked like that wasn't really talked about. And so, um, I met my ex, uh, when I was very young and, um, there were some really good times. There were some really not so good times. Um, but I didn't really understand the difference between, you know, an abusive or a healthy relationship. I figured there were such good times that it kind of like overshadowed the bad ones. Um, and so we dated for, um, 
quite a few years. Uh, there were a couple of times that I thought, you know what, this is a little too much. You know, he cheated on me a lot and mm. whatever. And so um, I did end up breaking up with him one time. I felt like so strong um, and brave. And uh, looking back now, I realized that if I would have known that I needed some type of healing, um, counseling, something um, at that time, maybe I would have never gone back. But since I didn't get that healing or counseling, whatever I needed at the time, I ended up back with him. Um, and, you know, my self-confidence was very low, so I didn't really know that I deserved anything better. I just thought I was lucky to have what I had, no matter the struggles and, yeah. you know, incredibly abusive, um, but not all the time. So, right. Um, and we think that a lot. I've, I've. I feel like you and I are so, sort of on the same path starting off because I felt the same way. You just don't feel worthy and it's not that bad and you put up with the 5% that's you know good and the 95% is just awful, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, and I realized through my counseling, which I think is a huge, um, you know, one of the reasons that I share my story because... Um, if you've been through trauma, abuse, anything like that, you need healing. So I know, I just know that my healing journey will be lifelong. Um, and, uh, I didn't really realize that a defense mechanism is minimizing. And so that's something that I caught myself doing quite often is, oh, it wasn't that bad or, you know, yeah. <laughs> it could have been worse or those sorts of things. That's a clue that you're minimizing the situation probably. Right. Um, but anyway, so we, um, I bought a house very early. Um, I was 19 or 20 because no one wanted us together, surprisingly. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I wanted so to that's, that's pretty impressive. Uh, you bought a house. Did you yeah. buy it with him or you bought it with your own money or did it was you... just me? So, so I'm very, great. very fortunate that um because I know a lot of domestic abuse situations have something to do with financial and I was I, I am so thankful that one of the things my parents taught me is to be um self sufficient and a very high work ethic. I mean, that was trickled down from my grandparents on down. Um, and so I was always able to take care of myself. Uh, I never felt like I had to go back to him because of financial reasons. It yeah. was all other things. That's so, great. Yeah. So I purchased a house so that we could live together. Um, and then um, I... Uh, part of my story is also generational, just anything. So generational curses, generational trauma, generational poverty. There's so many things incorporated in this. And so when I graduated from high school, I thought I was ahead of the game uh, relating to post-secondary career, you know, just taking care of myself because neither of my parents graduated high school. Yeah. Um, so I thought I was ahead of the game at that time. And I did have some great job opportunities. I worked at Consumers Energy. I made very good money for a young 20-year-old at GM Powertrain. Um, 
And professionally, that's what I do is I encourage students to get a post-secondary education. And the reason being is because I didn't know that I could, that I was good enough to get a post-secondary education at that time. And I thought I was ahead of the game, you know, because my, my parents didn't have a high school diploma. And so I got that. I worked at GM Powertrain. I made very good money for yeah. a couple of years, but I also share that we need to make sure that we can sustain that good job that we acquire because um, when the economy changed in the early 2000s, I was one of the first people laid off because I didn't have that post-secondary education. So um, I found myself uh, at a very, um, you know, in my early 20s, I guess, um, uneducated, unemployed, and unwed while I was preparing to have my daughter. And so it was a very like confusing time because I was so excited. Um, You know, I loved her so much from the beginning, the first moment I found out about her. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, there was so much like trauma craziness (laughs) going on. Yeah. And so um, I had my daughter and that spurred, like she is my why. She is why I sought out to um, gain healthy relationships in my life. Yeah. I sought out further education, all of that. And so... Um, so you had her in 2004. I'm just looking at your very well laid out timeline that you gave me, <laughs> which is so awesome. Um, so, so from 1994, when you met him to 2004, I mean, I feel like even though it was hard and a lot of stuff happened, you maintained a positive attitude. And I I made a little note about that because I said this in one of my uh, videos that I did. I had this drive to want more. And by the way, if you're the first person to get a degree or the first person to do anything in your family, it's called being a transitional character. That means that you're the first person in your lineage to have succeeded somewhere that no one ever had before. So you can just own that title. But um, (laughs) I know it's funny. Mastin Kip is a coach that I got certified through and he talks all about emotional trauma. He's a trauma expert and all of that. And um, he created functional life coaching. He has a trademark on it. So it's pretty impressive. What did you just say? What was the title you just said? Transitional character. Transitional character. Yeah, (laughs) that's what you are. The first person in your lineage to get a degree in your family. So, you know, that's something to be proud of. And I feel like as I was reading your timeline and everything that you had done, And I thought about myself because I just kept wanting something different. I wanted to be out of this abusive relationship. I wanted more for my life all the time. And so that kind of drive is what helps some women like us just be like, no, I am not going to do this. And even because I was the same way. I was the big breadwinner, the only one making all the money. But yet I was so miserable and unhappy with like my outcomes. So I commend you for the uh, having the, the house all by itself is pretty impressive. So you had your daughter, you had a house. Now, just, I know you don't have to tell us every little thing, but tell us just a little bit, because I want our listeners that might be experiencing the same thing you did to kind of have a feel for what kinds of things were happening, you know, from 1994 to, to 2004-ish. Sure. So, um, you know, I was cheated on quite often. 
Um, I never felt good enough. Um, I was told so many times that if I wasn't with him, no one else would put up with me. Um, and that's what, you know, so many times, and I know it's, you know, out there where so many people say, well, why didn't she just leave? Or um, why would you stay in a situation like that? Unfortunately, too many people are either in a traumatic event or they grow up in such a way that they don't already start with um, a high self-esteem. So yeah, that's um, exactly it. And then even if they do, the person who is manipulative, it's like this crazy art that they're able to um, kind of pick away and pick away and pick away at you until you no longer believe that you are good enough for anything. Um, right. And so I started to believe that, that if I wasn't with him, then no one would um, want to deal with me. And so I didn't want to be alone. Um, so I was cheated on. He lied to me quite often. Um, I, uh, he beat me up, um, and threatened me, um, manipulated situations, didn't want me to hang around with the opposite sex, um, accused me of cheating on him all the time, which now I know yeah. is because he was cheating on me. So yeah. usually those who are guilty accuse you of doing what they're doing. Exactly. So that's a little tip for you. If you're being <laughs> accused of things and you're like, yeah. that doesn't even make sense. I would never do that. It's probably because the other person is guilty yeah. of whatever they're accusing you of. Yeah. I'm so glad um, you said that because that is, it's almost like classic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I wish I would, this is another reason why I'm in the profession I'm in because I wish I would have known how to find my skills, my talents and my passion earlier on, because when I went back to college, I wish I would have gone into psychology because the brain and how we react and, um, deal with certain things like how our experiences affect us and rewire the brain is totally fascinating. Oh my God. Have you read Bessel van der Kolk's book, the body keeps the score. So him and Mastin Kip are, he works with him. Like he, Oh, it's just, that's why I was, I fell in love with that too. And when I was searching around for different types of coaching and then I came upon Mastin Kip, he just, thrives on that whole how your body is so on board before your brain even knows what's happening and how to heal emotions how to heal your emotional wounds and like that's my area right there but um you know just having one or two of the things that you said happen to and anybody is emotionally traumatizing right and I feel like what happens is you get into this relationship and like one of these things happens that you get lied to you getting cheated on is one thing most women just would leave that's it we're done like if you're not with someone abusive you're like oh my god you cheated well this relationship's over and i'm moving on and then you have to spend so much time just trying to get over that one thing right if you've been cheated on trust will be an issue forever (laughs) unless you get some coaching learning how to trust again and learning how to love and all of that but Add that to being abused, being, you know, threatened, gaslighted, all these things, right? And so then we start to get like like a big callus, you know? You're just everything, you're just hard to everything that happens. And that's why people say, why didn't you just leave? Well, because it just turns into this big, hard mess. And so you don't know how to get out of it. 
but it's easier to stay. And so a lot of people just stay because it's just easier. That just becomes too much. Now you have low self-worth. All this stuff is happening. So, um, and, and that's the thing. Like we chip through that hard exterior to get out and find the things that we want to do. And yeah, I thought the same thing too. I wished that I had, because I ended up uh, becoming a paralegal. And then I, while I was in my internship, I was uh, working with an attorney who was working with a survivor. But this was long after my abusive relationship. And I thought, gosh, if I was doing this then, I would have had so much more education under my belt anyway. But okay, so um, you said you had, um, in 2005, as you went to church with your eight-month-old daughter looking for some kind of hope, tell us a little bit about how that felt and went. Sure. So um, I had my daughter and, you know, I thought maybe that was a turning point that that would get um, because my ex also had, you know, addiction issues and he had um, family trauma as well. So that's why, you know, I don't hate him. I pray for him often. Um, I think that hurt people hurt people. And the whole um, goal behind my telling my story is we need to get the healing and the help that we need. There's no shame to that. You know, I wonder if I would have gotten the help that I needed. I wonder if he would have gotten the help that he needed. You know, neither of us might have been in that situation. So um, he, I thought that that might be what he needed to get sober or get the help that he needed. Um, But it just, it just didn't stick. Um, he did try. Um, and so when my daughter was eight months old, I don't know about this whole eight, but I was born on, <laughs> um, eight, 28, 78, and like revealing how old I am. But, and my daughter was born on 10, 28. And then as I'm learning about God, the Bible verse Romans eight twenty eight really stuck out to me. So this whole eight yeah. and 28, numbers thing I don't know that's cool if it's been as significant <laughs> but um I one of the reasons going back to my childhood I felt like I wasn't good enough was because my father's family were Catholics and nothing against Catholics again this is not not anything to do with blaming people or things right. but at that time unfortunately they were very adamant that I was born of sin they wouldn't baptize me. My parents were teenagers. They were unwed. Um, and I just wonder, and I pose that I wonder question multiple times because when we wonder, it could lead to positive changes. So I wonder when I was a child, if the church would have welcomed us with open arms, how that would have changed the progression of my life or even my parents life um so I didn't grow up knowing about God and um my thought was if there was a God I wasn't good enough to be in that circle of being loved um because they turned (laughs) us away and so when my daughter was eight months old um it was our first Father's Day alone because there were a lot of things that happened leading up to that and he just wasn't with us um at that time And so um, I just felt like I needed to go to church. And looking back now, it's like it's kind of crazy that I would have thought to do that as an unwed mother after being shunned so many years prior to, but I just knew I needed to go. Mm. And so I went and I remember holding my daughter um, 
and listening to the worship music and just like bawling my eyes out Mm. and feeling, you know, at that time I was under a lot of stress. I didn't know where the money was coming from. I was just out of, out of an abusive relationship. And for anyone who doesn't know, I mean, that causes a lot of emotional torment, like um, crazy. Uh, And, you know, I was afraid of a lot of different things in our future and, Uh, But in that moment, I felt so much hope. Um, Yeah, isn't it? It's like it belongs to you, that moment going to church and feeling embraced by something bigger than you. Yeah, I was just really encouraged. And so afterward, um, this gentleman, Dale, who I'll never forget, um, came up to me and he obviously noticed this poor young lady bawling <laughs> with her daughter in her hands. And so he asked me if I wanted to chat. And so we talked, I couldn't tell you at all what we talked about, but I just remember feeling, um, welcomed and accepted and hopeful. And so, um, from that moment on, I just couldn't wait to keep getting that feeling. So yeah. I started reading the Bible and going to church as many times a week as I could, um, and so I'm very thankful for my daughter because she brought me to know God that yeah. I, I didn't know him before. And um, that's so great. Um, so you had said that you um, your college advisor saw something in you that you didn't see. And I highlighted that, too, because tell us a little bit about that, because that has a lot to do with the low self-worth. And when I coach women, it's always like, that's the first thing they say. I don't feel worthy. I feel like a fraud. I don't feel like I have any self-worth at all. And so that had to be huge for you to have somebody like a college advisor see something in you. And, and just as a side note, when people used to do that to me, like I didn't ever believe them. I was always like, oh yeah, you're just saying that for some other reason, right? <laughs> Yeah. And I think this is really important because we are all, every single one of us are affected by domestic violence, whether we are in it or we know someone or we can affect someone negatively or positively. And so I, moving forward, I want to be like this advisor. I want to be able to speak life into someone else's life because you never know what the next person is going through. Right. And so, um, Part of, you know, I had my daughter, I sought out God, I knew that I needed to find some type of work because it was all up to me. Um, I was on unemployment, but I knew that was coming to an end. And um, with my level of education, just a high school diploma, I couldn't find anything comparable. So I saw a commercial for medical billing and coding um, through Davenport University, and they pretty much guaranteed that you could find a job in less than a year. So I thought I need to, I need to do that. So it was very nerve wracking. It's kind of hilarious to me that I think that 26 years old was old to go back to college. And now <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh. Was well, everybody else is like, you know, 18. So <laughs> yeah. And so, um, I was never, I never considered I could be a college graduate. You know, I just, I just didn't think I was smart enough, good enough. My family didn't do that, whatever. And so I ended up going to school for that. Um, And thank God my advisor saw something in me that I didn't see in myself because medical billing and coding sure would have paid the bills, but it wouldn't have um, captured my passion. So it would have paid the bills, but I wouldn't have been alive and doing what I was meant to do. And so she thought that I would 
come alive and helping people and see I thought she was crazy because I thought how could I be helping people when my life is a mess I can't even seem to help myself right (laughs) but she got me a position uh as a work study uh working at our local community foundation and a whole new world opened up to me I I learned about nonprofits and how there were a community of people who cared about others, who cared about the community, who wanted to help people. Yeah. And that I just came alive because I thought, wow, how yeah. amazing is it that I can get paid to help people because that's what gave me, you know, yeah. so much joy. That's so exciting. Um, and so that's another reason, you know, why I do what I do professionally now, because it's so important that we help people find yeah. what their skills and their talents are, what their passion is, because then if they operate in that arena, they're less likely to allow the unhealthy and abusive situations going on. Exactly. On well, and we are going to get to that, what you're doing now, because that is like, I'm so impressed with that. But before we do that, I wanted to, so you were talking, because I'm a paralegal, I was all about this. So you were talking about, um, you got back with your ex due to the friend of the court. Now, I've never heard of that term, because here in New York, we have our Supreme Court and our family court and all that. And then we have advocacy groups, and there's all kinds of people within the court that help. There's the uh, um, legal aid and things like that, right? So when you first said it, I was like, what? (laughs) I wasn't sure what you were saying. So what is exactly, what state do you live in? Michigan. Michigan. So friend of the court is like what? An advocacy group? So it's, it's the, um, family court. It's family court. Okay. Friend of the court is what we would go through regarding, um, custody or visitation of my daughter. Okay. Right. So you had said you had gone back together with him because of this court situation. So that's the world I lived in because I was a court advocate before I started being a life coach. So tell us what happened because this is what leads up to your, and it was fascinating to me that you kind of went back to that group to make some changes. So tell them how it started, that whole situation. (laughs) Sure. So I love the story. (laughs) So do I. Because my favorite, going back to um, my faith, my favorite Bible verse is Romans eight twenty eight, because it says that God can make good come from all things. And when I read that, and if you've ever been abused or neglected or trauma, um, you feel so, like there's just such this heaviness. And when I read that, I thought, wow, he could make good come from all of that. Like, how is that even possible? Right. And I have been living that since, you know, I realized that that could happen. So there are certain things that I have done and experienced in that horrible time in my life that I wouldn't have been able to do if I hadn't experienced it. You'd be one of those people that says, why don't you just leave? (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, there was a lot of back and forth, obviously. Right. Um, you know, I'm just giving like snippets of the story, but Um, so my ex and I weren't together. Then we got back together when my daughter was in preschool because we went through the friend of the court because he wanted visitation rights. And so, um, 
they were trying to say like there it's just a blanket and i don't know how it is in new york but dhhs cps um friend of the court everyone believes that if a parent is a biological parent they somehow magically deserve time with their children um that made me extremely angry but what i know now is people only know what they know so it's my job to educate and inform so that things can be changed. And so um, we had to go through the front of the court and I had to meet with a mediator uh, with my ex to talk about parenting time, you know, who gets to see her when. Um, And I called the front of the court previous, uh, prior to this meeting because I was afraid. If you know anything about um, abusive relationships, You do not want to be sitting across from that person in a meeting talking about what they should or shouldn't be allowed to do, especially regarding their children. And so I called and I told them that I did not feel safe and they blew me off and basically said, well, you'll have to tell the mediator when you get there or you can write a letter, but we won't get the letter until 30 days and, you know, whatever. And it was just, I can't even believe that that is how things are done. Like it makes no sense at all. And so anyway, and by the way, you'll be in contempt of court if you decide not to come. Right. So um, I went to that mediation session. Uh, Thank God. I'm a very, uh, I have a lot of grit and (laughs) resilience. And I, I know that not everyone has that. And so I thank God that whatever it is in me just, I kept going, kept going, kept going. Yeah. Um, because not everybody has that. No. And that's why I'm an advocate now so yeah. that I can help make positive change for those people and, and talk for the least of these. And so um, yeah. I went to that session. Thank God I was referred to a lawyer. And keep in mind, at this time, I was making very little money. I was putting myself through college. I was a single mother trying to deal with a healing from an abusive relationship, dealing with current threats from my ex and trying to do all that is right for my daughter and um, dealing with all of this. I could not afford a lawyer, but I had someone who knew someone. I was able to talk to a lawyer who encouraged me to say, I want random drug tests and I will pay for them. Thank God I had that connection. I wouldn't have known to say that otherwise. Right. And so I was very nervous to say that because, of course, I knew there was going to be some yeah. things that I was going to have to deal with afterwards because it would tick him off. Right. Um, but I said it because I needed to. And keep in mind that during this uh, whole meeting that the mediator made me feel less than. He showed me, um, and many times in my book, I talk about how there's professional people in my life many times that showed me that I deserved the abuse that I was getting because they treated me with the same type of disrespect that my ex did. Yeah. And you're being re-victimized all over again in the court system, which is what my, one of my biggest complaints was as a court advocate. Yeah. Yeah. So the mediator told me that I was an awful mother and looking back, I just want to hug my old self because (laughs) how awful to be told when I was doing everything I possibly could just to keep her safe. 
Um, I was told I was an awful mother because here is this wonderful um, father who wanted um, time with his daughter and there was no reason why he shouldn't have it. Um, I had a stack of papers, dates, times, instances of very violent and unsafe situations that illegal situations that had happened time after time after time I kept track of all of it well that's Um, so good that you say that because when I was at court advocate some of the women would blow me away with their documentation and their three ring binders with the little tabs that had every single phone call every single incident and it was I said what you guys are educating me honestly but you need that if nothing else because very little is submissible. I know, I know. So that's so great. Um, yeah, and so I knew, and again, the only reason I knew to do that was because someone told me. Yeah. Um. So he told me that he hadn't been in legal trouble in six months, so obviously he was on the right path now. <laughs> oh, I thought, okay, okay. <laughs> he just hasn't been caught in six months, but that shows his experience. Um and knowledge on the whole situation. I just feel like people in that situation needs to be, they need to be trained better for sure. But anyway, um, so I ended up having to say, I was instructed to ask for these random drug tests. I knew as soon as I said that, um, the look that I got from my ex, he was very upset and I was afraid to even leave the courtroom. But since that person put in charge of protecting me and my daughter actually made things worse. I had to do what I had to do to protect my little girl. And so, um, after that, I got some very threatening voicemails. He was threatening to kill me. Um, he obviously never went through with the random drug test because he would never pass. And so, um, even though I had to live in fear even more so, um, and get threatened, that he would kill me. I, that's what kept my daughter with me so I could keep her safe. Um, another group that are, that are in charge of keeping us safe. I called the police because I was afraid he made threats that he was going to kill me. And they told me they couldn't help me because what I was saying was hearsay. Even though I had the voice recordings, it could have been proven it was him. It was from his cell phone number and it was his voice. Right. Um, They didn't want to help me at all. They just told me that it was hearsay. Um, And so my daughter and I went and stayed with my parents for a couple of weeks until this blew over. And I knew that, um, you know, because he had broken into my house multiple times. He could have easily um, come in and killed us both. Wow. So, um, That's so scary. Yeah. So they didn't help at all. And many times prior to that, the cops were called to my house when um, he was being very violent. And I wonder, you know, I posed that question. I wonder if any of those times the police officer would have said, hey, do you know this isn't healthy? Or here's a pamphlet for the Women's Center or anything like that. But never once did they offer that assistance. Um, And so anyway, you know, it got better from there. But that that time period was horrible. Well, there was Um, something you said that you felt that you had to let him back in to keep your daughter safe. Was that after all of this? um, Yeah. So um, I had to... (laughs) 
because they it was actually before um before this oh, okay um I think actually you know when you've been in an abusive situation that's what I've noticed when I um, started writing my book it is very difficult to remember the timeline and exactly what happens first that's why I get very upset when you hear about court proceedings and oh the woman must be lying because she's changing her story when in fact it is scientifically proven that when you have trauma your brain tries to hide things away to protect you because the things that we go through is not humanly yeah like we're not supposed to experience those things so it kind of blocks things out to protect you so it's kind of hard to remember exactly yeah that's okay (laughs) but it's just the statistic is women go back an average of seven times before they actually leave and when you had put that in that in your timeline and I thought it was probably once or twice you know it's commendable that you didn't just because there's nothing better or giving up or I might as well just stay or and there are a few women that I've spoken to that thought, one woman said to me I would because ra- my father left me I would rather stay here so that my daughter has her father in her life and I'm like oh my gosh do you hear yourself like you you would be in a relationship where your daughter's life would be in danger she or she'd be seeing nothing but negative energy fighting abuse just so that you could say that your daughter has a father in her life because you didn't, wouldn't you much rather have a happy life, the two of you, live a beautiful life together and be at peace and safety than to just make that statement? And, of course, it took her a little while to realize that that wasn't the path that she should be going down. And then finally, you know, realized, oh, my gosh, in the end, she was like, why would I have ever said that? And it's like, because in... when you're in it. And that's why it's important that we get healing because yeah. many times we don't know right from wrong. Uh, we've lived in yeah. in trauma and survival mode for so long, it is hard to make an actual informed decision. Right. And so I did end up getting back with him because in the beginning of this whole friend of the court thing, which was much longer than, you know, the short yeah. piece that I spoke about, um, they basically said that I had to allow her... Um, to go with her dad. And I said, well, what if he, there's been multiple times that he's been completely out of control and she wouldn't be safe. She wouldn't be safe driving with him um, around drug dealers, uh, just horrible things that that a child shouldn't be around. And they said that I wouldn't have to leave her if I knew he was under the influence, but I would have to prove it. Right. So I would have to prove, so ask him to go right. to the bathroom in a cup that I could take with me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if I didn't leave her, I would be in contempt of court and then he would get her. Right. So they made it so impossible for me to make sure. And by the way, I never kept her from her father or kept him from her. As long as I knew that it was in a safe situation yeah. where he was, um, you know, with other people around to make sure she was cared for. Right. Um, I all I I never you know I I never wanted to do that. So did they have supervised visitation in your state? Because um, here there's do. yeah because it was yeah. like supervised visitation. Yeah, but they didn't even offer that. That wasn't even oh. the whole situation was just horrible. Oh, but dear. anyway, so that's one of the reasons that I got back with him because I felt like that was my only option to keep my daughter safe. And that's very common, and it's very sad that that has to happen that way. Um, yeah. So you were very angry about all of this. 
understandably. And you said you had gotten your associates and you got you had gotten this career, but you were wasn't your passion and you didn't really love it. And then you said somewhere in there you created the um, Great Lakes Bay College and Career Resource Center. So tell yep. us a little bit about that. That sounds so fascinating. Yeah, so um, I worked at the local community foundation and um, I worked my way up and I got all of my different degrees. And that's another thing that I tell students is, you know, I was one of those kids who thought that I couldn't. And I ended up with a certificate, two associates, a bachelor and a master degree. So, so you know, we can do what we believe. Yeah, we can. That's and great. so um, I created the College and Career Resource Center so that we could assist people in learning about their skills and their talents and then assist them in getting a further education. Because there were some things that I learned about that I didn't know and I knew could change other people's lives. So, for yeah. example... Um, our systems, like that's why I'm all about changing systems. So our yep. system currently keeps people in poverty. So I had never even thought I would ever be on um, state assistance, but I had to be because my daughter was a baby and I was on a, um, unemployed. And so for a very short amount of time, I was on that assistance to get me through. And what I found is they tried to like, and it's, I'm sure it's not intentional, but the way that it's structured is they keep you in this poverty because it's too hard to get over the bridge to the other side. Right. And so if I were to make a little bit too much money, they would take away food stamps or insurance, things that my daughter obviously needed to yeah. survive. It's so crazy. And oh, so frustrating. Yeah. And so when I got that work study position through the community foundation, I realized that that money that I was making from that was government money. So it didn't count as income right? relating to my um, assistance. Okay. So I was able to get that work experience, um, make a little bit of extra money and uh, not get penalized with providing my daughter food and medical insurance right. essentials. Yeah. And so that is what got me over. I mean, it wasn't easy, but that is what got me over to the other side. And, you know, the, the people who are taking care of my case, they don't ever see that and they blame it on the person. But what we need to look at is the systematic, you know, the system of, you know, yeah. how, why aren't people getting out of that, yeah. that situation? And so I share that. I speak with women's centers and the YWCA, and I talk about that work-study option so that people can utilize that to get over the bridge um, to, yeah. you know, away from poverty. And so um, I was able to create that College and Career Resource Center so that I could provide all of that information that I didn't have readily available to yeah. myself as I was going through the situation. Um, but, you know, then we were able to provide just one-on-one -on -one assistance to anyone who needed a, a further education, whether it be GED, skilled trade certificate degree, so that they could gain a, a job where they could take care of themselves and their family. And the cool thing is like, this is 10 years down the road. And I was praying that God would, you know, make something good out of that situation. Yeah. Um, 
And so I was patient because if I would have tried to fight the friend of the court at that time, it would have been self-serving. I would have been too emotionally involved and it would have been, it wouldn't have been successful. But 10 years down the road, because of the situation that I was in, I was able to collaborate with the friend of the court and create this gold program. Yeah. Tell us about that. I was like reading what you said about it. That is the most fabulous thing. Yeah. So um, my ex, I never received child support because he would just go in and say, well, I work construction and it was, you know, we're slow. And so I went to the friend of the court and said, you know, what about if you require those parents who don't pay child support to come and see us at the resource center and we could help them. They need to be um, actively working on whatever next step they need to be working on, whether it's a GED, a skilled trade or whatever, a path to a career so they can eventually start caring financially for their children. Yeah. Um, and so they receive grant funding from the state or federal or whatever, and they are actually supposed to be providing that service anyway. So here I was helping them meet this requirement <laughs> that they needed for this funding. Yeah. And so they were very, very thankful for me. Wow. Um, so that's, I was that's able to... so great because like most people would have been mad at the friend of the court, like, and just cursing them and spending all of their energy talking about how bad it was. But you instead went back to them and said, I have a solution. That is what is so amazing. And um, and so it's still up and running. Yeah, but that that's not even the what my goal was. That was only the avenue, the door that opened the change that needed to happen. So I knew that I needed to develop a relationship. um, And Uh, create a space where they were able to trust me and so I provided for them and then I was in the position to say hey can I talk to you about this um, situation that I went through personally and so I talked to the director of the friend of the court and I told her my story about how I went through the friend of the court and um, I was threatened my that my ex was going to kill me and everything that happened with the mediator and everything and she hung her head the entire time she is a good person it's not like you know everyone's malicious and they want horrible things for other human beings she just didn't know what she didn't know and so because I was able to develop that relationship and that trust then I was able to say, hey, can you listen to this? I talked to her about it. And I went in with bulleted list of um, things that they could change that wouldn't take time or money um, to help keep people safe. And to this day, a really cool thing that happened from this book is Elisa Devine, who is the main author of the book. Mm-hmm. She is going through front of the court um, proceedings and she was given a domestic violence survey that was never in there before so that's one of the direct results of what um, you know what I did years that's so great before and now you know she's benefiting from it so I think that that's really important too to you know I went back when it wasn't self-serving I had that built relationship and then they were able to listen to what I had to say and and to allow positive change to take place. And as we know, when critical thinking, when emotions are high, critical thinking is very low and you wouldn't have been able to make an impact. You would have, they would have just said, oh, she's just hysterical and she's just crazy and she's just 
doesn't know what she's talking about. And that's where most women land because they might think, if I just explain my situation to the judge, he's going to understand and this is all going to be great. And when that wasn't happening, that's how I became a court advocate because they were like, I need help. And I, I wasn't able to say much because advocates, you can sit and listen and you can explain to your client what just happened. But you know how it is barely the person can say anything but i would i got in there with the the judge that was in charge of all the other judges and i'd be like look at the women want to say something because when the attorneys are talking they're not getting it right they're saying things so that they can you know win or whatever but it's not accurate information can my client speak to to the judge and he would say yes they can and i'm like they don't know this so he's like, they could raise their hand and the judge will say, well, what is it you'd like to say? And they would advise that you tell your attorney what it is you want to say so that he could reiterate it probably less hysterically or more professionally. And, or she could just say something to the judge as long as she feels like it's valid. And these are the kind of things I would provide when I would go in there. And I was constantly fighting with the court people about well, this is happening, and you know that that happened, and this happened, and what is she supposed to do? And there's no way we're going to let her hand this innocent two-year-old over to somebody who's drunk. And it's exactly what you said. They're so afraid that they're going to get thrown in jail. And here it was, the husband was like, "Well, I'm going to call the cops, and you're going to get arrested, right?" And so I called all of the police chiefs and all of the police captains in all of the areas of our town and asked that question: If my client calls you and says i'm not handing my child over i have this court order are you going to arrest her and they all said absolutely not it's a court family court issue and they would have to take it back to family court so that's solved a big problem for these women that are like i'm not you're drunk no or you're high i'm not gonna and i don't care because i always used to say there's power in knowledge and i would always tell everybody when you are educated about what your rights are you will have a much easier time navigating the system because if you don't advocate for yourself, as you saw, nobody's going to do it for you. And the people that are appointed in the courts aren't doing their job. They're so burned out. I've seen so many of them. They're so burned out and they really don't even yeah. care anymore. Yeah. And another thing that's really cool that came out of that a positive change with the friend of the court is I asked to talk to the mediators because too often those and human service um, jobs are burnt out and they don't make enough money and they have yeah. too much on their plate, but I needed to remind them of the severity of each of the situations. Yeah. And so they just assumed because most women who go in there are jealous or whatever. And so they just assumed that's who I was and that's what that situation was. And that's how he was reacting to it. Yeah. And so I was able to talk to all of the mediators and tell them my story. I didn't call cause the mediator who, my mediator was in that room. Oh. I didn't call him out, but I know for sure he knew who yeah. he was. Wow. And That'd they need be to so be reminded on a regular basis that their actions and decisions actually affect the people and can turn into horrible situations. They need to realize that and take a, each case, case by case, and not assume you know, that this woman is just like the previous woman. Right. And so that was really, really helpful as well. That is so great. Now, you said you received your master's in strategic management. That's pretty impressive. And that's probably helped you a lot with all of this. 
because again, having the, the education and all of that so that when you do try to make change, um, knowing what you're talking about is very helpful <laughs> instead of just, you know, ranting and whatever. Um, and then you said you left the place that you retired from, you, that you wanted to retire from due to poor leadership. What, which job was that? So that was the, the place that I got my work study position. Oh, okay. Well, that's too yeah. bad. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, you know, a, a different direction and, you know, a change over in, in the CEO. So that's why it's really important that we have the education that we need yeah. uh, so that we can, you know, maintain a position or at least go where we're, you know, where we're going to be happy. So I'm at the Bayer and ISD now and able to assist um, students in finding their skills and their talents and their passion and relate that to a career. So, uh, it's been a good experience. That's so great. Um, so you wrote, you said you wrote your story, um, turning my pain into purpose in the book, hashtag she wins too, which is how I even got connected with you. Um, and I, I would love to meet the author, uh, what's her, Alyssa, Alicia, Alicia divine, divine. Yeah. Um, she hasn't reached out to, I haven't reached out to her, but, um, I want to, but, uh, so nine different women, and you so 10 all together was it told yes, their stories yeah and um so i'm trying to it, this movement that i've started everybody who all of my listeners know about it because i talk about it all the time <laughs> so um i want people to understand that telling your story is the beginning and the first step and the most freeing feeling and i, I actually have one woman who is a founder co-founder of the movement and she's like she was on my podcast and she was t telling her story and it wasn't like our stories. It's just her the abuse as she was growing up. She's not married or hasn't been, but um, she's like, I have never spoken about this publicly. And I am so, I feel so great right now that I have actually told my story. And, you know, it's, there's such a power in that. And I feel like the, that book must have, you know, really made everybody feel that way. So when you um, were asked to write to, something in that book how did that make you feel uh I knew that that was I've been kind of leading up to that for all of these years you know I started um you know when I started at the community foundation I was full of shame and so yeah. I pretended you know that I wore my engagement ring pretended I was married because I had a child so there was like a progression of things and so that's why I talk about how important it is with leadership and how we're treated because a previous um, CEO there treated me horrible and told me I was a charity case and I wasn't allowed to talk to the donors and so that was part of the reason why I went back to my ex because I was being treated that way you know I wasn't good enough in the professional situation I was in either and so it's so important that we're you know we all have skin in the game with this so you do know, you think here. so when that person said that to you and you were in a professional setting a professional working what what do you think made her was it a woman him oh it was a him okay what what do you think made him say that to you based on what well everything um that he I, was knew. A, I was a single mom i was an adult going back to college i didn't have a degree just my entire upbringing my entire situation i wasn't at his elite level okay. and so i, I um, asked that question because i was just talking to somebody about that today about 
the, the professional women that are out there right now that are in that same situation. Like those are kind of the women that I coach and that people don't believe that. If you're already a professional, you already have a job, you shouldn't have any problems. Well, who cares what happened in your past? How was that interfering with your life? And I'm like, oh my gosh, stuff happens all the time. And it might not even be that they're telling you that you're less than, but that there are things that they say that are triggering and they don't even know what they're saying that's triggering you because it's something that happened in your past. And so there is so much around stuff that has happened to us and the way people view us and the way we think people view us. Sometimes people aren't viewing, like everything that you just said, I feel like is so commendable in my book, right? Like, wow, single parent, you're working, you're getting going back to school as an adult. That's so commendable where other people are looking at it like shameful. And yeah. that's a crime, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So points to remember, we wanted to talk about now, because I know there's people listening and I know there's that are saying, oh my gosh, that's so me, or she was just lucky or whatever, right? So what are some things that you would say to a listener that's listening right now that is anywhere in your path that you were in that is struggling? What sort of advice would you give? Um, well, it's important to like knowledge is power. So, um, I've been like just trying to gain as much knowledge as I possibly can about healing, about what trauma does to my brain, about, um, you know, self care about, you know, I think that we all need uh, a counselor or a coach or someone helping us through, um, yeah. life, yeah. Uh, let alone dealing with the trauma that we've, we've dealt with. Um, and then of course it always makes us feel better when we're helping other people. So we all have individual stories and based on our experiences, there's something that we can do positively to make a positive change for those of us, those people who are coming behind us. Yeah. So I think it's so important to continue like lifelong healing is important self-care is important and having you know a group of people um you know even if it's like like the group of us who wrote the book were um a group of people who help each other you know navigate through life but also definitely have professionals who can help you um navigate through things that are you know educated in that that's great yeah for sure and you should get that book um, at Mastin Kip. It's called Claim Your Power. <laughs> and he talks about there's three things that are known to help heal emotional trauma. That is safe relationships, safe environments, and having purpose in your life. And those three things, I mean, that's part of my coaching too, is when I say safe relationships, I mean, do you feel safe around the people, safe enough to say I'm a survivor or this is what's happening in my life? Like that's what I mean about a safe you know, environment. Like who are you hanging around with? Who are the people that are influencing you? Are they lifting you up or tearing you down? Safe relationships is basically the person that you're with or the people that you're with. And like your partner or your family members that are, are they bringing up the past all the time? Are they saying things, well, you know how you are. Well, this always happens to you, like that kind of talk. Or the people that discount what happened to you, like that's not a safe relationship. And so, you know, it's hard with family because you can't just get rid of them, but you can learn how to put a boundary around your life so that you can 
have the safe relationships on the inside and then you pick and choose how much time you want to spend with the people that you have to be with that don't make you feel safe and how to manage yeah. that and then having purpose in your life and you know it could be something as big as what you did and honestly I, I am like jealous because <laughs> I started off in the court system as an advocate and I was trying to save the world and I wanted to do everything and it's harder and like you were very lucky to have that woman who actually listened when you were saying that in my head, I was thinking every time we tried to do that, we got pushback, pushback and things like, oh yeah, but this is, that'll never work. That'll never work. We've tried that before, all that negative talk. And pretty soon when you're just one person, you're feeling like this is never going to work. And it's so sad. And so I just kept advocating for women, but it could be a big purpose in your life like that, or it could just be some women just want their purpose to be that they are have peace and calm in their life and that their goal is to just keep the negative energy out and just live a peaceful life so when i say oh do you have purpose in your life people are always like oh I, no i don't even know what my purpose would be and i'm like it doesn't have to be some big huge thing like people think where you have to save the world or be or you know save animals or children from abuse that's great if you want to do that, but it doesn't have to be so big. But having any kind of purpose in your life is part of the healing process. And, you know, you're right. The healing has to happen. You know, you have to have a coach or a counselor or somebody that, and people like to say, oh, well, I have my friends group, you know, but friends aren't going to tell you what you need to hear. Friends are going to tell you what, you, what they think you want to hear. So it's not always helpful. You have to have a professional that's going to be like holy or a group like the, you know, the women that wrote the book, like they're all in the same boat. So they know, and they're good people to lean on because you've all been through the same thing. Yeah. And I like to tell people that purpose is just really what brings you joy and is positive. So it yeah. can be small or large. Um, yeah. Don't really matter. Just bringing you joy and something positive. Right. Right. Um, and so I, I think we, I talked about the book, when I was on with Brandy, um, you have a link uh, if people want to order the book. I didn't even think to ask her that. I don't know if she has the link either, but <laughs> but um, I can post that so that if anybody wants to order that book, um, that would be great. It's the women all telling their stories, and I, I, I ordered it. When I haven't received it yet, but once I get it, I'm going to read it and um, really share it with people. Yeah. So is there anything else you'd like to say to everybody before we conclude? Um, not really. Just thank you for having me. Uh, I just hope that this provides some um, peace or hope to someone who listens or um, inspires positive change, no matter where it might be. And the link that I'll share is to a form where you can fill out information to purchase the book, but then you can um, use the link to the, to the Venmo to pay for it, or you can send um, a check. So filling out the form is actually the first step, and then you have to do the, you know, the payment process. Um, and I can share that with yeah. you. People can you can share my email and my um, Facebook is from pain to purpose. If people want to connect with me that way as well. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you next is how can people reach you if they want to, I don't know if you have people that reach out to you, but um, I will put all that information in the link so that people can uh, reach out. And yeah, that was one of the things I didn't do. I filled out the form and I didn't send you the Venmo. 
And I'm like, oh, there's one more step. I <laughs> so, wish there was a way to connect it, but uh, I haven't figured that out yet. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for your time and for, you know, sharing all of your good information. This is so, so important. Um, the movement that I have founded is called the Living Free from Fear Movement. So I know that you've hopped on there and anybody listening, if you want to um, hop onto the movement, we're going to be doing great things going forward. And I'd love to have you and the other women, if they're interested, to be part of the movement as our advocates who might just answer questions for people or just make people feel that they're not alone and we are here and there's power in numbers and there's power in knowledge and we've experienced it so we can share it out and help other people too. So um, yeah, so thanks a lot and we will be uh, talking again soon, I'm sure. Okay, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, you, you're welcome. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye. Hello. If you're interested in finally being free from your past emotional wounds and living the life that you deserve, I have a six-month coaching program called Triumph Over Trauma that shows survivors of domestic abuse how to overcome their past trauma and take control of their lives forever. I will be there for you every step of the way. To get started now, go to karenmessina.com and sign up for your free confidential consultation where we will talk all about you and put a plan in place for your future. Now is the time to take back your power and control. See you on the inside.